0: I always try to bring what we just talked about back into focus, like the, the actual benefits, the individual benefits of why mountain biking is valuable and this, this trend, the, transforma- the transformational qualities of riding a bike on a trail in the woods, bring that back to those moments and not let the economic side or the commodification side override it. And I think that that undercurrent, that undercurrent is, is, is important to keep the core reason that we ride, like, in focus.
1: Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blom. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the communities that embrace trails, and the people who rely on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. Episode 134 features Christian Jackson. Christian is based out of the Boone, North Carolina region and has helped shape many things from Rocky Knot Mountain Bike Park to projects based in the Grandfather District of the Pisgah National Forest and beyond. If this is the first time Christian has been on your radar, you are in for some good stuff. If you know of Christian, consider yourself fortunate. This is part one of a two-part series with Christian. I need to thank Bryce Sherbach for connecting Christian and I, as that makes what you're about to hear possible. Cooley Creative is the title sponsor for this episode. They design and build custom websites, as well as help companies with branding, photography, and e-commerce. Cooley Creative was started in Wisconsin, but is now based out of Bend, Oregon. Jared from Cooley Creative is a friend of mine. We've traveled together on multiple mountain bike trips, and sometimes he sends it. For more information about Cooley Creative, head on over to www.dujussendit.com. Yes, that's right, www.dujussendit will get you to the Cooley Creative website, so check it out. A huge thank you goes out to the multiple people who have placed orders for Cattle Mountain Apparel and Trail One components. This support definitely does not go unnoticed. I hope you are all enjoying the products that have been ordered. When you use the links found under the affiliate section at the Trail Effect website, a portion of the proceeds will help fund the Trail Effect podcast. Bonus, use the code TrailPod when checking out for a 20% discount on all Kettle Mountain apparel and Trail 1 components. 230 USA has come on board as an affiliate for the Trail Effect podcast also. If you are familiar with rooftop tents and overlanding, 230 likely has been on your radar. Check out their affiliate links on the Trail effect podcast website and learn about the well thought out designs that 230 has to offer. Now, on to the Trail Effect with Christian Jackson. Here we are today on Trail Fact. I am Christian Jackson. He's a senior lecturer at Appalachian's Department. Er, right. what's this, what's the name? What Appalachian
0: State University. I
1: forgot the state part. This is where we, this is where we at it.
0: So depending on where you live, it's you, if you live in the South, it's in, in the mountains here. It's Appalachian. If you live in the Northeast, it's Appalachian.
1: That's funny when you say that because yep. when I was, I have an AMBC head on, and I was quickly yep. corrected <laughs> when I was in Knoxville about how it's oh, Appalachians, yeah. not Appalachians. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Okay, here we go. Here we are today on Trail Effect. I have Christian Jackson. We'll get this
0: right at some point. I, I'm, I'm glad I'm not the only one that has these moments.
1: From one podcast to another, this shit happens, right. okay? It, does, it sure does, man. Editing is real. Here we are today on Trail Effect. I have Christian Jackson. He's a senior lecturer at, at Appalachian State University in the Department of Recreation Management and Physical Education. He's also behind Rocky Dab Park in Boone, North Carolina, and he's a PMBIA, PMBIA Level 4 instructor and co-host of the Bikes and Donuts podcast, which you guys all have to listen to after you listen to this podcast, because if you haven't listened to Bikes and Donuts, it's really good, and we're going to get into that in this podcast as well. And Bryce Sherbach connected us, which is awesome, because Bryce has connected me with many people in this industry, which have led to really good conversations. But how's it going today, Christian?
0: Fantastic, Josh. Thanks for having me.
1: Oh, of course. Like this is—I've read. I was reading some of your work long before we got connected, and when Bryce connected us, I was super grateful for that. But let's get into your backstory and uh, as like how you got into mountain biking, outdoor recreation, and like what led us to where we are today.
0: I grew up in a small town in Illinois uh, that actually made bikes in the '70s and '80s. So I've been—I've been around bikes since like I can remember. My dad worked at the. In the sales department at the uh, the factory, which is uh, AMF, which became Roadmaster, I think it's now Pacific Cycles. But yeah, in our town, like we machinists and you know all these people that worked around bikes, and so bikes were everywhere. Everybody everybody rode bikes around around the the neighborhood. And I remember mountain biking specifically. My dad had come home from a trade show with a uh, a flyer, a, a black and white flyer of the of the Stumpjumper, and showed it to me as a kid. I'm like, what? this is cool. What is it? It's like, well, it's a bike ride in the mountains. You know, that kind of, that, it was many, many years before I'd, I'd have a mountain bike, but that kind of, that, that idea stuck, stuck in my head. And, um, you know, as somebody growing up in, in the Midwest, not seeing mountains, you know, just seeing cornfields, you know, the vast prairie mountains were a, a pretty distant idea but were, were very, very attractive to me and graduated high school in 89. And for that, that year as a president, I got a, my first mountain bike and I've been, I've been riding BMX, you know, all, all up to that point, And it raced a little bit and just absolutely fell in love with, with mountain bike. And as a, a college student, rode my bike to class every day. And uh, this, we'd moved to North Carolina when I, when I was 16 and ended up living in, at NC state or living in Raleigh uh, after NC state for, for a decade throughout the nineties and a bike commuted. On my mountain bike that entire decade, so all over all over Raleigh to to work and, and to wherever I'd start teaching high school uh, in Raleigh there, and pretty early, like the maybe the second week of class, the, the vice principal was like, "You you ride your bike to school every day? What what do you think about starting a bike club for kids?" And this is in you know the mid nineties, ninety five, and like man, that sounds great. I love you know I love I love running bikes and put out like a little flyer, you know, posted on like the bulletin board, you know, and talk to the students about, about this. And like 10, um, like freshman boys show up with their bikes one day after school and we went riding, you know, I'm not sure if we all had, had helmets, definitely have a first aid kit. Um, the campus was right next to a piece of NC state property that hadn't been developed yet called Centennial campus. And there were trails everywhere that, that people had just been, you know, raking, riding. You know for for quite a while and we just we had a great time we did this quite a bit and started getting into this this idea of of um of guiding right and taking taking kids taking kids riding and simultaneously had started to reconnect with some outdoor recreation folks i had at the university and and had been getting into climbing backpacking canoeing that that kind of stuff and got interested in like that that idea of being a guide and at that time, like climbing, being a climbing guide or a river guide was a pretty well-established concept. And um, I started being an apprentice for NC State's um, outdoor classes and and at the, in the climbing and, and and in the river world and getting trained on that, getting you know, certifications and a lot of experience. And biking was mountain biking was always in the background, but it was it was just kind of something fun that we did. You know, like climbing was serious you know there's there's this, there's systems to it you know for for how to how to take people to do that safely and you know it, there's obviously training at that point in the in the canoe and kayak world through a c a you know there's certifications and and whatnot and, but mountain biking was always just something I just kept coming back to you know it was just like i it kept kept coming back to that And this whole process really just fell in love with being outside leading people in the mountains and um you know, just the, the joy of recreating and, the, and all the benefits that that come from that. And fell into guiding for a lot of different organizations like Municipal Parks and Rec uh, and uh, other programs. And met a few folks from the Outward Bound School here in North Carolina. And, you know, realized that you could, you could probably make a career out of outdoor recreation. Because at, at that point, I, you know, everything, everything that I'd learned was like, get a job and work and recreate in your spare time and then i meet these folks that you know these these climbing climbers at at Outward Bound that were you know living in the woods full time you know and their office was you know um the the base of a rock climb and you know for my my perception of that it's i was just fascinated by it and eventually you know sought out more experience more certification and and got on as a field staff for the North Carolina Outward Bound School simultaneously that coincided with uh, grad school going, going to grad school for me uh, in leisure and environmental ethics uh, at the university of georgia and i thought that i was being hired into the outbound school to be a backpacking guide and a, a climber because that's where my like credentialized experience you know my resume I had a lot of that and i i get a phone call you know a few months before you know the, the start the start date, and they're like, "We're looking at your resume, and you've done a lot of mountain biking. What do you think think about being a mountain bike guide?" I'm like, "Well, I didn't know you all did that, but that'd be awesome. What's it look like?" And they, at the time, were doing 14 day mountain bike expeditions uh, in Pisgah. So we had the Bob trailers. All the bikes had Bob trailers, and basically would would meet kids at a trailhead, load up Bob trailers, and and expedition for 14 days. You know through through Pisgah. So we we would bob in the morning or that you know kind of move camp either in the morning or the afternoon and then the other half of the day would ride single track um, in camp and then do that for you know for two weeks and mm-hmm. I, a few days into that I'm like this is absolutely amazing it is the at the point at that point it's the hardest thing I'd ever done but it was the most it was just the most amazing physical and, and 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 kind of recreational thing that I'd done is you know guiding. Twelve teenagers on bikes with 70 pounds of gear just to prioritize, you know, a two hour, mount, you know, single track ride. Throughout. So I, I did did that and just kind of got completely into in that we're bound. Uh, my first summer was spent that way. And then the next the next year got into um, course directing or, or kind of supervising courses and, 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 and training, training instructors and eventually became uh, the program director um, at, at the base camp. And you lived, I was, I was living it, man, I was, you know, we lived inside the National Forest full time and could walk to climbing sites. I could get on my bike out of my door and go ride anything in Pisgah, you know, it was, just, it was dreamy. It was just absolutely dreamy. And, and the thing that, that recreationally that became really important to me was and what I learned through Outward Bound was community and, and, and the environment and kind of the, how the synergy between all those things were really working together. And that really kind of inspired like the next, the, the whole next phase of, of my life, you know, it was just those, those, those concepts that, that I discovered at Outward Bound. And it really had happened for me on the, the very first Outward Bound course that I did where my co-instructor, who was, who's a bit of a, a Yoda of of the woods, you know, stopped us one day. And he, I'm not sure that we'd actually talked about it prior to the course, but he wanted us to stop and do trail work for the whole the whole expedition to, to stop and do trail work. And we we'd been riding around the area in the, in the Pisgah Ranger District of Butter Gap. And the Butter Gap Trail was, is an old, old logging road, like like many of the, um, the those trails. And there's several creek crossings that, you know, the bikes are just, you know, causing sedimentation into, into the creek. And so he he had been been trained in the northeast on, on rock work. And so we did a rock armoring project, you know, with these, these teenagers and he had framed it, framed this idea of, of sustainability and impacts and future generations, you know, and all, all of that. And it was just like this magical moment of, of like taking half a day and moving rocks around, being intentional about, you know, what we're trying to do with the trail that I mean, completely impacted, impacted my life you know, and just that, that one moment, and that's the, you know, the power of those, these outward bound courses for a lot of people is, you know, the the discovery that happens that was then this current that start that was planted back, back then. And was like, kept growing and building, you know, throughout my, my career of, uh, of, as a, as a, a re- professional recreation person, uh, was a stewardship, a stewardship piece, um, and community and specifically through trail work. so. At the same time, I was really trying to explore that that side of things and trying to again. I had this kind of habit of jumping into things and uh, fully, and, and started looking at like, well, what kind of trainings are out there for trail work? You know, are there books? <laughs> All of that. So, did my own research and and eventually uh, started a stewardship program for that that base camp, the bound School. We adopted that trail, the Better Gap Trail, through the Forest Service Adopt Trail program when that was happening and worked with the forest service on, you know, sp- specifics with that and, and got pr- pretty familiar with leading volunteers, you know, kind of treating the students as, as, as volunteer, volunteer work and, f- and how to, how to lead that and frame it, frame it well. And, and so that everybody's getting something out of it uh, in a, in a good way. And simultaneously, like I was really, really into like building my own trails and the base camp that we My wife, my wife and I lived at was just just down the down the literally down the trail from Butter Gap, and it was a hundred acres in inside of the national forest. And the first winter that that she and I lived at the base camp, we were the caretakers. We everybody else had left. We we signed on as the the caretakers. So the only two people living in this this base camp, you couldn't see any lights from anywhere. Very very remote. And she she um, wrote her dissertation. There at the at the lodge, the space camp that winter, and I built trails in split wood. We made the coffee, which is amazing. But I I started like just building my own, my own trails specifically for me for riding, you know, for from mountain biking because that's I was just I was a, a bit um, bit in the weeds on that. And I I'd, I'd met former outdoor bound instructor uh, who had started the area's first trail building company, and it was a bit of the the authority on trails in, in the area, um, Woody Keen, he started trail, trail dynamics and he and I had interacted in the climbing world and the biking and just riding bikes a little bit. And I, I invited him out to look at my trail and, and, you know, cause I was pretty proud of what I, what I did. And, and he looked, we walked it, you know, he's kind of silent the whole time. And we got to the bottom of it and he's like, I'm like, what do you think, man? It's like God's honest truth. I'm like, yeah. He's like, this is total shit. This just breaks every rule, and I was just—I was like am- amazingly deflated, like amazingly, like somebody just kicked me. And so he like kind of took me under his wing, which I think was his his agenda all along—to you know—to to educate. You know, and I—I I started working with him at at Trail Dynamics. Like he 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 took took me on, and um, once that my first summer at, at Outward Bound, or second summer at Outward Bound, started building trail in Dupont and Bit Creek, and. Elsewhere in Piscataway, do, doing a lot of ma- doing a lot of maintenance, but also construction. You know, and started learning learning design. And he he was an early kind of an early adopter of of machine use, at, at least for here in, in the mountains, and was was doing doing all all of that all of that as well. And so I was really trying to round out my my trail my trail knowledge. You know, from the technical design build perspective, uh, and then maintenance maintenance as well and so that and that was again kind of in the in the it kept in the in the background but it was one of those things that was that was super important and super important for me and one side 2005 we my wife and i would were at the table rock base camp which is in Little gorge uh, near boone we'd specifically i took the program director job there because she had um, gotten her job as a professor at appalachian state prior to me being affiliated with the school which is as the crow flies isn't very far from table rock but it's it's an it's an hour's drive so anyway we lived at the base camp and she would she would commute in to teach we had our first child and it became apparent that having a child and living an hour bound instructor program director lifestyle are are, are not super compatible because uh, <laughs> it's just because the nature of the, everything and we ended up leaving the school and moving to moving to Boone. And I started teaching at, at ASU in the indirect management program. It's kind of happened into that. Through a good connection from, actually from Outward Bound. And then it worked that into a, a, a full-time, you know, a full, a full lecture position, which absolutely amazing. A few years after I'd started the, the, the county had hired a recreation planner, which is the first time that the, the, this had happened. And one of the first things that, that he had done was, to, you know, do a needs assessment of recreation assets in the county. And the obvious missing piece in the Boone area at the time, and this is the late two, 2000, 2008, 2009, uh, was the lack of mountain biking. So we had amazing climbing access, incredible rivers, tons of tons of hiking trails. But there were actually in Watauga County, there were no legal mountain bike trails designated legal mountain bike trails. People rode, rode everywhere, but there wasn't was anything that was legal that the county could publicize, you know, you know, make a make a deal about. And th- they wanted to ch- wanted to change that. And so the first initiative of that recreation planner, Eric Warridge's efforts, was to create Rocky Knob Park. And it's, it's a small mountain just on the edge of town that's adjacent to an old landfill that's been capped. And the county tried to get industry to come in into the area or housing and it just, it's been, it has been vacant for, for quite a while. And I'd heard rumors of this and decided to reach out to Eric and, and we met for coffee and, and he explained what was going to happen. And I kind of gave him my, my background and what my interests, interests are and, and quickly became the nominated or appointed (laughs) to be the trail boss for the park to oversee the, the trail, the trail development and coordination of volunteers with the professional builders uh, with the county you know and just kind of be a, a central person to to shepherd to shepherd that process you know which i at that point i knew i knew trails pretty well i knew recreation i knew community and it was an am- it's amazing opportunity to, to get in the very the very very beginning you know in 2010 at at, at this at, at the project you know and i there's so many lessons that happened you know in the, 13 years, 13 years since then that I'm excited to talk about. But one of the first things I did once, once the, the Boon Area Cyclist, which is the, the club that formed primarily for the creation of Rocky Knob uh, as a partner. Uh, and I became the, the trail boss with them. The first person I called was Woody and told him what, what was happening. And he was dumbfounded. He's like, that's the reason I left Boone." because of the lack of support for, for trails, you know, one of the reasons, and I'm like, well, Trail dynamics needs to put a bid in on, on phase one, it's going to go out, you know, and I want to be, I want to, I want to help. And so that's what we did. And so Trail dynamics got the contract for, for phase one, which is about, about three miles, three miles of trail. And it was just a amazing experience of, of trail design because the mountain is um, it's Rocky Knob, and the vast majority of the mountain is rock. And so the the price per foot, um, which at the time, believe it or not, was I think two fifty, um, hybrid build, and all of this rock. And they used a very like the the smallest uh, mini x and it was just it, it was a, a lesson on on how not to
1: <laughs>
0: how not to go about building building trail, and, and we we've been reverse engineering a lot of the work that we did that on that on the very first first couple of trails over the years as we've learned learned how to how to handle rock differently now. And and also what we've learned about user expectations, um, skill level, community needs, all all, all these kind of things. And and so we've spent we can talk about this more, but we've spent the past three to four years reimagining Basically it's like looking back at the park and if we could if we could do things differently, what would we do and how would we grow the park? and we've been putting grant money and, and stuff in, into that and evolve, evolving the park and, and I think the, the, the efforts have, have, have been well received and it's really helped, helped transform the, the park into into the popular destination that's that has become re- regionally for
1: us. I want to back up a little bit and we're going to come back to Rocky lucky knob Yeah. But you touched. It, you also touched on this in in bikes and donuts, or donuts and bikes. I can't remember which one.
0: <laughs> donuts and bikes. Yeah. Donuts
1: and bikes. And donuts yeah. and bikes. When you did the the instructor coaching program slash merges with trail building episode, sure. And you had mentioned that Woody Keene thing, but you didn't mention Woody Keen as being that person that you took to show you <laughs> to show that first trail to.
0: Yeah.
1: And so. Maybe for the listeners, like, kind of dive into what rules you broke and how, because I'm assuming you kind of looked at trail building at that point as to what the rest of Pisca looked like, right? Oh yeah, totally.
0: Yeah, I mean it's really simple. It's, it's fall launch is a fall line trail. Cause that's what it was uh, people. That's what we wanted. You know, we went steep if it wasn't, and that's what Pisca is known
1: for. It yeah, well, steep was known for at least.
0: It's still, it still is, you know, I think the, the steepness, um, combined with the, the forces of erosion, you know, we, you can call them Pisgah di- ditches. Black mountain was one of them schoolhouse Yancey. I mean, there's any, all these old, you know, there's skitter roads or whatever they were just followed, followed a ridgeline path of the least resistance. And they became incredibly rugged, difficult descents. And one of the things that, that Woody said back you know, when I, we were first working together that I didn't really, I didn't fully comprehend. I, don't, I wasn't old enough or experienced enough to, to really gra- grasp But he, he kept saying, you know, there's a specific trail up here in Wilson Creek that he's like, every time I r- ride that trail, it changes. And at the time, you know, as a young person, I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that makes it awesome. So you don't know what's coming. And it's just, it's a, an absolute, you know, it's chaos in there. And it's awesome. And when he's, you know, shaking his head, he's like, no, you don't get it. It's, it's not, it's not what we want with trails. You don't want them to change every single time you ride it, you know? And, and and it wasn't until much later that, you know, started, started to see, you know, over 20 years of riding the same trails, like how incredibly different these erosion ditches have become, you know, and there's fluctuations in opinion of like, well, schoolhouse is rideable this year ne- then next year it's not rideable because of you know x y and z and then then it fills it it, it fills itself back in and heals it and everybody's like oh it's rideable again let's go ride it and then everybody goes to ride it, and there's more erosion right and then like as as you step back and look at that you're like well th- this is simply a not a sustainable thing right and then combine that with you know, the, the larger pictures of erosion and uh, within the watershed and how it's impacting water quality you know which which is is a huge thing but you know obviously you know one of the impetuses for um, the creation of Pisca you know is the protection of a of a, of a major watershed so yeah so that that's the, the rules that I was breaking was it was a fall line trail and i hadn't at that point really understood you know i would rock armor to few steep steep sections but it was still like in principle was just it it, it didn't have the grade reversals. And I didn't really understand like the value of a grade reversal back then. And and conceptually you can, you can see it, you know, but from a rider perspective, when it, when you have a trail that has incredible grade reversals in it, it, it's a magical experience, you know, and, and, and can still be incredibly challenging and fun and, and opportunities for all sorts of expression, but they have to be, those things have to be designed really you know, really intentionally and really well. And, and it's not something that you can go out and walk through the woods a couple of times and, and create a trail that's like that.
1: Yeah, for sure. And that's, now you just basically led us to modern flow trails.
0: Well, you know, I, I think that's flow trails get a, a bit of a bad rap uh, in, in, some, in some circles, you know, especially here in, here in Pisgah. There's a lot of contention around that, but the reality is all trails should flow. Right, so there's there there has to be there has to be some sort of flow element to a trail, and it's it's not simply you know this ribbon of roller coaster of dirt, right? But you can you can have you know we have incredibly rocky trails, fall line rocky trails here at Rocky Knob that are they're technical flow trails, like and you can float if you know once you unlock and unlock sequences and, and what's happening, they they do exist, and I think that's something that. It's, it needs to be mentioned, right? All trails should flow. Oh,
1: Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah, let's go into Rocky Knob because I think some people would be surprised at what Rocky Knob is, and and for those that aren't familiar with it, and how it's it's not a huge tract of land, but yet you have a huge amount of impact in terms of like the positive, reward it, rewards that it brings to a community. And I believe one hundred ninety acres, if I'm not mistaken.
0: Yeah, yeah, just just shy of that. Yeah, I think the the main attribute. Of Rocky Knob is the fact that it is it it is a mountain. I mean, it's uh, summits at four thousand feet, parking lots at thirty two hundred. So there's you know there's a good bit of elevation. It has a couple of different slope aspects to it. You can see it from town if you're driving east, but once you're there, it feels like you're in the forest. You know, once you once you leave leave the trailhead, so it has that that sense of escape. So I think that's you know a primary attribute is that it's it's a mountain, but it's close to town. And then the trail system has evolved from a traditional stack loop system, which, you know, when we were planning the, the park, that's, that was the, the way that you, you planned a trail system was these series of stack loops. So the main core of the trails are that, but over the years, we've, we've seen that other you know, preferences and just topographical constraints of the, of the mountain have then given us. Some directional downhill trails, jump trails, skills areas, and all these other kind of pockets within the park. And so you can go ride there, you know, and go out for fitness and have a, you know, two hours, two hours of really good, really good fitness riding that's more traditional, like cross country. Or you can go do jump, jump lap sessions with, um, which are very, very popular, you know, or there are, there are two two trails off the summit now that are both directional downhill. And one's a blue, and one's a, a double black. That create an experience that that challenge a lot of riders. It's a, it's a challenge that that a lot of riders want to aspire to and, and seek out. And if you put it all together, you know, if you do a full, if you go out to ride the, the the entire the entire park, and you're hitting, you know, our our newest Shrimp or Belt Jumbo Shrimp, which is a it's a very very unique. One of our most unique trails. You go out to ride it, and the, our double black and all the jump trails. Within nine to ten miles, you're you're getting an experience that you you can't have in Pisca. Like you're getting every single type of riding, including a brand new Velo Solutions paved pump track. Uh, you're getting every everything that you can possibly want to do riding wise. You know within with some of the expectations or limitations. You know within the 190 acres. So it's pretty incredible. So that I think is what what attracts a lot of people to it. The quality of of the trails, the level of maintenance that we that we put in with our volunteers is huge. I mean, we're we started what we call Dirty Thursdays in two thousand ten, which is basically meeting every Thursday to do some sort of maintenance work. Started that in two thousand ten, and we're we'll be out there again this week. And so there there's a there's a you can tell. There's a lot of care that's that's in, that's in the trails, and the volunteers take a lot of take a lot of pride in that, and the community sense that is built because of that is is palpable. Like when you're when you're there, and you know you see see the locals, like there there's a it's a community. It's not just a so it's not just a trail system, you know. But there's it's a meeting place, it's a hangout spot. So you see all your friends and it's it's an attractive it's an attractive place to to want, to want to be
1: yeah and that fully illustrates the fact that a community doesn't need i'm going to say a destination size type of land access situation to really pull all the elements together that you've just described in 190 acres
0: correct yeah i think um quali- quality over quantity for that's sure that's exactly it right you know we don't have and variety in varieties, absolutely, absolutely, and good progression is a is a really really important piece, you know. So from our our jump trail perspective, you know, having having purposeful green to blue to black progression pieces in there, having these skills areas, we've got a, a drop zone, you know, and skinnies, and you know, just the, that that variety is is critical. But having well designed intentional progression throughout, you know, from both sides the jump side and technical side, you know, from entry, entry-ish level to more advanced has, has been a, 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 an important asset for us.
1: Let's get into, into, what Bryce Sherbach had sent me since he kind of connected us.
0: Excellent. Always uh, love riding and philosophizing with Bryce at the same time.
1: <laughs> so his, his comment about you is that he, uh, he says, Christian's a pretty stellar guy and really epitomizes trail advocacy in ways that exceed anyone else that I know. That's a pretty bold statement. I'm just going to throw that out there because Bryce knows a lot of people and that's pretty awesome to have, you know, you should feel honored to have that kind of statement mentioned.
0: For sure, for sure. Bryce is awesome. Uh, yeah, I, I read that when you said it to me. I'm like,
1: is he t- talking about me? See <laughs> <Is he> his? <laughs> yeah, and yeah, so, but he says that you, reach, you recently mentioned that you're starting to look at just how significant what we do on bikes in the woods really is. And that a lot of people will say things like, it's just bikes. But he kind of has a perspective that isn't so dismissive of the importance of our sport and our community. And I'm glad that he said this because I've had this topic come up on the podcast in the past, specifically with a, with a guy out of Marquette known as Todd Paquette. And those who know Marquette and Todd Paquette will understand why Todd says this. And I think his perspective might be a little bit different than yours, but the same end game is really what's important. And so why don't you expand on like, cause I, I mean, I've said it myself and Todd called me out on this. Like I said, at the end of the day, we're just playing bikes and he's, he totally called me out and said I was being dismissive. And we actually recorded a podcast around that statement because of what I said. And he really made me re-examine what I was, how I said that, why I said that. And the fact that like, I've used bikes for me personally as a, as a really strong form of therapy.
0: For sure. Yeah, cool. I'm excited, excited for this. Well, let's jump back to a bit of history for a second. When you know, when I was a kid growing up, this town where they made bikes, AMF, at that time, and I, you know, throughout the 70s, 80s, and 90s, bikes were toys. Like literally, were to, were toys. I mean, my my dad was a, a salesman for a bike company, but they sold these, they department store bikes. You know, they were just these things that you kept in a garage and you went and played with, right? And, and so I think there's it wasn't until the bike industry became more prevalent you know in the, in the '90s, and then obviously in the, in the 2000s and, and then incredibly through the pandemic, which um, we can talk more about. But there is, is that that concept that bikes are just this thing that we go do, and it it, it is very it's very dismissive of what it is that we actually do on bikes. On trails. And, you know, I see this through in the coaching world and, and personally, and, you know, you, you talk about this, the word therapy as well. And I, I think that when you start looking at the reasons people want to get on a bike and actually go onto a trail, you start seeing deep personal meaning or the, potent, the potential for it, right? It, it could be just simply, I'm going to ride a bike, getting exercise, but it's also an intrinsic, an intrinsic value there that we have aspirations, you know, of of skill development, for instance, and just kind of to pick on that for a second, you know, we may, we may want to get better at riding our bike and as- aspiring to a double black diamond or whatever it is. And in, in that, in that process, we engage in discovery. You know, we we actually like we're we're mentally and physically in in this state of discovery. And that's something that's incre- it's rewarding for us personally but also then can help transform who we are into you know be more fully effective as people right and so in that in that process in that process in the moment of like getting better at something and seeing results and going into it with an intentionality and um it's an inner it's an inner discovery as well as an outer you know potentially an outer discovery and it's it's Similar to climbing and you know river stuff that we we talked about, but the bikes are are a bit different in the sense that, like, I could get on my bike right now and ride to where you are, like I, I could I could do that, or you could ride to where I am, right? I can't I can't go climb from here to where you are, or paddle right? I just can't can't do it, and so biking then trans, transcends transcends a lot of things, and in that that skill that skill development piece we see personal growth, you know, self-efficacy. And the thing that I've been really coming around to Bryce and I were talking about is there's, it was obviously that, that physical skill development. But if you, if you think about other areas of our being in terms of development as well, you know, like emotional, social development, bikes are tools for that as, as well. And I, you know, over, over the years of interacting with people on bikes and, and seeing like literally how, People have created their own vitality through bikes, or realized their their humanity, realized their ability to connect uh, with others, be more expressive. You know, in some cases, you know, of friends that are uh, vets that have put their lives back together on a bike and used the bike as a tool to emotionally put themselves back together, cognitively through mountain biking. You know, and when you, when you, when you see that, when you, you see somebody that, you know, goes from you know, traumatic experiences and not being able to interact and connect, process emotions, you know, have desires to do anything in life to somebody, to people that are fully functioning, aspirational, connected, communicative because of a mountain bike. It's, the, it's for me, it's like it's there's something incredibly magical. That's, that's happening there and, and it needs to be valued. And so the thing that, that, I, that I come back to on this is that the, the therapeutic piece, the emotional piece, the social piece, the, the connectedness, uh, how we relate to others and the environment and how we grow to understand the environment, it becomes a highlight. But that highlight is, is up against, I think sometimes forces that, that do wanna make the bikes toys again like there's a commodification, there's a commodification of, of mountain biking with, with the popularity, the popularity of it. It's like, you know, making them more things again and, and not this device that enables all these things that we've just been talking about. And I see that in the, I see it happening in the, like the economic development side of things a bit, you know, where we, we, you know, Rocky knobs is a really good example. We'd, We've kept track of of usage numbers. We've done economic impact studies with the university. We've got numbers. You know, we can say it's 2.6 million annual contribution to the county just from the park, you know, and, and we get requests for that data from other places because they want to they want to prove why they they need bikes to to come, bike trails to come to their communities, which is all awesome. But anytime that I I'm asked to present to town council, write grants. I always try to bring what we just talked about back into focus, like the, the actual benefits, the individual benefits of why mountain biking is valuable. And this, this tra- the, transforma- the transformational qualities of riding a bike on a trail in the woods, bring that back to, to those moments, and not let the economic side or the commodification side override it. And I think that that undercurrent, that undercurrent is, is is important to keep the core reason that we ride like in focus for folks.
1: Yeah, so you don't know this because you don't know what podcasts I've recorded and haven't recorded that haven't been released yet because they haven't been released. But I was literally just editing a show before we came on this morning with a guy, Luther Probst. Who's he was a keynote speaker at the International Trail Summit in Reno? And he literally closed that interview with, and people are gonna be able to listen to that before this, because it'll be out next week, with the fact that like stories change people, stats don't change people. Data won't change people, stats don't change people, but stories change people for the exact reason that you just went into and the humanization of stories. And so from an advocacy perspective, like Bringing that back into focus, just like exactly like you just said, is so important because it really paints a picture more so than any data ever will about why trails and communities having trails and mountain biking in this particular case is so important.
0: For sure. And you, you think about bikes in the pandemic and stories, right? We could talk a lot about bikes the pandemic, but, but stories. When the pandemic happened and everything shut down, Rocky Knob stayed open, either intentionally or unintentionally didn't ask any questions. But we went to ride bikes and I have two boys and they're friends. this this was I I don't know where we would be if we didn't have that opportunity, right? But we would go and ride bikes every single day and we would we go and ride jump trails and do do all our stuff and then spend at least an hour in the parking lot every single evening watching the sunset. And the boys went from kids that could not wheelie or manual to Later that year, we're manualing and wheeling the whole parking lot. You know, so we just spent so much time, so much time doing it. But more importantly, there was a handful of kids, you know, that that rode, that were just getting into biking, you know, and, and were were kind of had been mount had had a mountain bike, you know, maybe not a it was kind of maybe an entry level mountain bike, but they started started mountain biking at Rocky Knob regularly and and found the value in it, the, the things that we've been talking about. And one, one particular local, local kid was getting ready to graduate. You know, it's was senior year was the first year of the pandemic and, and second year, I don't even remember now it's been so much, so much pandemic. He got into the university he wanted to get into in uh, his es- his essay that he wrote for it was about what he learned on his bike at Rocky knob during the pandemic. Right, and he he shared the essay with me. You know, it was this beautifully written, very personal story of what he learned about himself and about his community and about the environment from going biking every day. And that's a story. That's the example of the story that I share. You know, with town council when I'm asking to do X, Y, or Z at the park or or, or write grants. And you're exactly right. I mean, it's, it's those, it's those things that propel us forward. And, and like the thing that also comes to mind with this, and you you probably know Leopold, Aldo Leopold up, up your way, you know, when his quotes is that about the purpose of recreation development, you know, it's not to build, he's talking about, I think, roads or something, but it's not about building infrastructure as much as it is building receptivity, you know, and, and this idea of, of that he's getting at, Obviously, he wasn't talking about bikes, but the receptivity that recreation can be something way more than just a park, you know, or, you know, a physical trail. But it's it's the it's what happens on that trail and that with, within that person with, you know, the connectedness that person has to themselves to the environment, to their craft that they're pursuing. And I, yeah, I, just, I hope that we keep highlighting, keep highlighting this facts so, because I think people resonate with
1: it. Well, back to the story about the high school kid, like that happened in a pretty short period of time. Did you ask him what he was going to write about had he not found mountain biking? Because I'd be curious to know what his essay would be. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. He's, he's a pretty sharp one. But, um, but, you know, I mean, we spent, you know, that, you know, two years and, you know, I, th- I think just watching, we've, I've watched so many kids literally grow up on, on bikes here and, and it happens, it happens quick. I mean, it happened that their skill development happens quick. When we started building in 2010, there were two kids, high school age in our town that rode bikes regularly. And now our, our NICA team just ended their season has 50 kids that all, that all ride. And, you know, in, in the course of a you know, there's a one particular kid that, We used to host these uh, kids mountain bike camps and I literally helped him learn to ride a bike. Like I, I ran behind him with my hand on the saddle for the first week of this, this bike camp, you know, and I saw him yesterday and he's telling me he's learning to scrub, you know, X, Y, and Z jump on the PBJ trail. (laughs) You know, I'm like, yeah, I remember when you're like, you're just almost still on training wheels. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, man, I've got stories like that from when I was used to coach ski racing. Like, I remember, like, there was a certain kid, he was like five, I think, when he got into the program. And I can relate because I was really sure, well, I still am pretty short, but like, I had to like literally pick the kid up onto the chair, you know, right. and then like yeah. to see him go into his junior, or senior high school, and become a strong athlete was like just seeing that transformation was huge. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Let's move into uh, other stuff that you're doing in your community in terms of, Collaborative efforts to, between the U.S. Forest Service and your local trailer org. And specific, specifically, this would be, and this is this also comes from Bryce Sherbach, but specifically, this is within the grandfather district of Pisgah National Forest. And I believe he's probably really referring to that G5 collective, I'm assuming.
0: Uh, I think that was more about Wilson Creek.
1: Okay. But yeah. So, and I guess in this particular one, they, he says that you reworked a trail called Schoolhouse. Yeah. It might be the best descent of all in Pisgah. That might, that, that statement in itself might create some <laughs> some opinions.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: there's, a, there's, a, there's a lot to
0: say about that. And I, I'm going <laughs> to I'll let Bryce's words speak for themselves because I'm a little partial <laughs> to it. But yeah, so in a lot of ways, this the schoolhouse trail in, in grand, the Grandfather District, which is right here in, in outside of Boone, north of the, the Ranger District. It's really for our, our mountain bike community. Trans, it, it transformed our community. Just, I mean, it's just, it just simply did. And, and the story for those that haven't haven't read the the piece about this, it, in a nutshell, is the schoolhouse is an, is a fall line, severely eroded trail. The the ditch is overhead high, or was over, overhead high on on a lot of the the final mile, and the Forest Service had had basically looked at it and said it needs to be closed. Like it, it's beyond repair. Um, it's the bottom of it literally is right across a gravel road from Wilson Creek, which is the major, you know, tributary in the watershed. Every time it rains, it's just, I mean, it's a, it's a mud waterfall. And when Paul Stahlschmidt, who is the, the, he was the, the founding president of the Boonary Cyclists and, and a friend. Um, so back in 2010 and, after his first couple of years of BAC president and helping steward the Rocky Knob, uh, projects, he started the Northwest North Carolina mountain bike Alliance, which is our IMPA IMBA affiliate primarily to focus on other trails with, within, within our region. So it says there is a regional North Northwest North Carolina kind of regional piece, but the primary work became, became in the grandfather district of, of Wilson Creek because it's, it's it's a large it's a large piece of land and there's a lot of communities on the on the periphery. You know, Boone's on one end, we've got Lenore and Hickory and Morganton and you know, these these communities kind of all all around it, with riding communities embedded, you know, and so there's a lot of a lot of people that call Wilson Creek home, you know. So anyway, that that was 2013-ish. And we've been riding schoolhouse, you know, for quite a while. Quite a while. And most people that that were riding schoolhouse really liked the technical, how rugged it was, and when we got word that when the word kind of came came out that uh, that it was going to, first I was considering closing it. You know, there was there's a, a bit of an outcry for, with the with the core, the core locals, and at the time, like I, I didn't really, Paul was say this. I'm like I, they they can't close it. Like they just can't. Like we'll we'll find a way to keep riding it. Like it's just you can't. It's there. One, it's there. And so, anyway, through some through some planning and through through Paul's efforts, we we um, called a meeting, just decided to call a meeting um, with the core riders and the Forest Service. And so Lisa Jennings, our Recreation Ranger here, it was new on the job ish; she started in two thousand fourteen. We we had a we had this meeting at a at a, a friend who owns a barbecue restaurant, uh, like at at the restaurant, and brought maps and and talked for a couple hours just about trails and and that the thing that happened that people weren't expecting is that you know Lisa basically said well what do you all want as a group like what 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 are you, what are your desires what are you you know what do you want it's the, at at that point the local bike community which was you know a bit fragmented a bit Reserved in terms of wanting to interact the forest service because a lot of the trails we were in Wilson Creek were not designated for mountain biking. There's a lot of just rogue riding, and there hadn't been any sort of meaningful connection between the community and the forest, the forest service at that point. Lisa comes in, she's like, "What do you guys want?" And everyone is like, "Well, we want we want more trails. We want awesome trails. We want we want technical trails. We don't want to lose we don't want to lose technical trails." And that dialogue started the Schoolhouse Project and the, the larger the Mortimer the Mortimer Trails Project, which you know Lisa shepherded you know from the Forest Services side with with partners like the the, the Alliance, eventually Trout Limited, hiking clubs, and to completely reimagine the existing trails and what we could potentially do to them. And so, in without going into, into the the whole story that schoolhouse specifically she said if you can find a way to save it let's do it and so paul and i spent a lot of time talking and looking at it writing and planning like well how could how could we possibly save this thing you know we had a lot of different people weigh in and basically came up with the idea like well there are there are sections of this of this trail that are very technical but they're mostly rock they're fall line but they're mostly rock let's Save those. Let's identify those, and let's find all these places where it's fall line, it's not sustainable, and let's figure out how to eliminate those. And so we came up with a a design of segments: what we're keeping, what we're what we're eliminating, and, and re you know coming up with a new alignment off either side of the ridge. And so the, you know, if you look at the the old map, it was a, a straight line. And now it's a it's a, it's a bunch of squiggles, you know, where you're going off off one side reconnected with the trail off the other side and then went through the whole NEPA pro- process and there was RTP money recreation Trails program grant money for the build and ended up hi- hiring a hiring a contractor and one of the things that, that Lisa really wan- wanted to make to do and was in the end really helped schoolhouse become what it is is that she wanted the mountain bikers to be able to give input to the build as it was going on so she asked me and Paul to basically help oversee the actual final, you know, the final construction of this. And so we, we met the, with the, the main operator, wonderful, wonderful operator that listened. Like we, we, first time I met him, like we just, we just talked, you know, like bigger picture, how this trail fits in to the, the larger Wilson Creek riding experience, the kind of the quality of experience that we're we're seeking in this trail. And he listened, like, we're going to, we're going to make it happen. You know, and in, in the end, we have a, a trail that, that so far exceeded what we thought we were going to get that it's, it's a joy, it's an absolute joy to ride. And it's not as hard as it was in the, in the raw point and shoot kind of way, because that's the kind of trail it was. It was a, if you could ride in a straight line and you're brave, you're probably going to have a good time but now like the technicality is is in it's like skill based technicality like you've got to be good at turning you've got to be good at holding off camber lines and it, like all all of the all of the skills come in, come into play there's there's so much going on that it takes it might take a half dozen or more times down it to, to unlock you know how to actually like figure out all the different moves in it which to me that's that's one of the best kinds of trails where you just it's just, a, it's an absolute joy of discovery. You're like, Oh, I didn't know that little hit was, was here. Um, and I mean, as soon as pretty much everybody I've, I've taken down it, as soon as we get to the bottom, it's like, Holy crap, let's go do that again. And it's, it's unlike anything else that's in Pisgah right now.
1: I think the bigger story that I just heard you say, aside from the fact that you saved the trail is that it really provided a avenue to bring the community that was fragmented together. Oh, hundred percent. to then move forward on other stuff,
0: oh, one hundred percent. yeah. And so but, you know that that was just one one example. And you know, we had something similar on Yancey Ridge and heavy maintenance on all these other trails, but it but it basically gave it gave the community uh, a place and a purpose, right? We had it we had the place. we had we had Wilson creek as as a community. But now we have this shared sense of place, where there's there's numerous people that are that are helping out all the time with you know corridor clearing or maintenance or or whatever, right? And so we have got this this shared this shared sense of place and this purpose, you know. And 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 now now we're seeing this is you know more and more riders locally that are riding in in Pisca that had never ridden there before because they had been turned turned off because it's you know eroded trails, lack of signage, you know, you know, it's kind of a perception of kind of poor, poor infrastructure and not, you know, not of a highlight of experience, but it, it's completely transformed that.
1: So I'm going to do something that I've never asked before in my life. Would you be open to doing, to recording a part two so we can get the rest of this on another day? Cause I gotta, I do have to like actually start work. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Is there, and I'm I literally like I've sat down for four and a half hour sessions with people before, which I don't yeah. expect this to go there, but there's so much I want to build on with this that we haven't gotten to with the, like the G5 stuff yep. with the concept trail that we, you know, if the money's no object and time's no object type of thing, but then also getting into the, in bikes and donuts or donuts and bikes Yep. and instruction and coaching. Let's pick up. So we'll just to recap, we'll pick up on, um, moving out of schoolhouse in Wilson Creek. And in moving into G5 and what the yep. future might hold there. And then we'll go into um, teaching people and donuts and bikes. Okay. And how you could get, go deeper at like.
0: Pros and cons.
1: Pros and cons, not absolutes. Yeah. Yep. And I really, I really like that method that you have. Cool. Because I'm it excited. doesn't silo people. It, it keeps people in the conversation. Because when you go into absolutes, people automatically tune out.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's, yeah, it's, it's limiting for a coach and for a a student.
1: But the philosophy behind the absolutes is what we should.
0: Exactly. Exactly. That'd be, that'd be fantastic.
1: Perfect. Christian. I've enjoyed this. I really, really appreciate this. And I really also appreciate that you're open to doing this in two parts because I think that'll, well, A, you can kind of digest what we've already talked about and then we can roll into what we're going to talk about.
0: Yep, absolutely.
1: Perfect. You have a great hey, day and a great weekend.
0: All right, you too. Thank you we'll so much. Talk soon. Yeah. Okay. Bye-bye. Cheers.
1: Cheers. Thank you for listening. Our next episode will be part two with Christian Jackson. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. Also, if you are new to the Trail Fact Podcast, check out our ever expanding library of episodes. If you listen to Trail Fact on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, please don't forget to leave a rating interview as this is one of the best ways to show your support for the trail effect podcast. Also don't forget to check out Cooley creative at www.doodjustsendit.com. For additional ways to help support the trail effect podcast, check out the affiliate links tab on the trail effect website, where you'll find links to cattle mountain apparel, worldwide cyclery, trail one components, and now Twenty Three Zero USA by using the affiliate links found at www.trailfectpodcast.com, A small commission will come back to the podcast, which helps keep this thing going. This podcast has been edited and produced by Evolution Trail Services. Thank you again for listening.